0: Anybody have any stuff? Anybody? Do you have some stuff lying around? Stuff in your life? Stuff at your house? Stuff in a storage shed somewhere? Anybody else inundated with stuff? Am I the only one? Come on, there's got to be some others in here. Stuff. We just got back from vacation it was amazing. Time? I got rid of my stuff because I moved 10 years ago and I was, uh, I had the uh, the opportunity to hear somebody who said you really should move out of your house every ten years and then you will get rid of your stuff. That's true. You're <coughs> but you know what, Ellie? i am into your house and you got some stuff. You got some stuff in the house that moves into that. Room. I yeah. have not no, I got a character. It's not stuff. Those are heirlooms. From, heirlooms family. from family. I cannot give them up until I die. You can name it what you want, Ellie, but we all got stuff. <laughs> we are inundated with Stuff. Do you ever feel like you have too much stuff? Or do you feel like you don't have enough? We, we just got back from vacation, and it amazes me in a s- small little SUV how much stuff it takes for us to travel. And most of the stuff are things for the smallest members of our family. I mean, how much does a kid this size need? Well, apparently more than I need. Because it's, it's astounding how much stuff we have. But you know what? We're not the only ones. You look at our culture and you look at the way we live, and we are inundated with stuff. I mean, I found some statistics online that are pretty interesting. Take this into consideration the average home now has approximately 1,000 more square feet than they did back in 1973. 1,000 square feet more, and the average, that's just average, than in 1973. And just to, to help you get an idea of what that's like, that's like half a volleyball board worth of space. It's like a two-car, it's like two times a two-car garage. That's how much space we're talking about, on average, more than in 1973. And aren't we supposed to be simplifying and things that we have, technology making life easier for us so that we don't need as much stuff? With so much space, you would think we would be pretty well set, don't you think? But we're not, are we? We need more stuff. We need more stuff because you know what? We we need more space because our homes, that one thousand square feet more, is not even enough. So we have storage units. Do you realize that storage units are a multi-billion dollar industry in our country? I mean, just look at this. Public storage makes approximately $2.56 billion a year. Extra space. Uh, $991 million. And then you go on down and U-Haul, even at the bottom, has $247.9 million. And that's just the self-storage. That's not the trucks that hauls all of our stuff. We have so much stuff. But do we really need the extra space? Do we really need so much stuff? You're probably wondering what's in the box, aren't you? You walk up and you're wondering what's in the box. You know what? I don't know what's in the box. All I know is that it must be pretty well important because in the 10 years of our marriage, I think we've moved with it three times. So therefore, it must be pretty important for us to carry it around. Do you have those boxes hanging around that you've moved with several times and they never really get unpacked? Well, I may need it. And you don't even remember what's in it. Do you really need it if you never use it? constantly want more. We want bigger. We want better. We want newer. And even if we can't afford it, we'll put it on credit. We will put it all on credit. I mean, consider this for a moment. Credit and mortgaging our lives. That The average U.S. household, the debt has increased approximately by 11% in the past decade. And then the average household then owns, has about $16,748,000 of credit card debt. That's credit card debt. Now, if you consider mortgage, house loan, uh, student loans, all of those things, we're talking about an average $134,643 of debt in the average American household. Okay, does that sound like a lot of money to anybody else the room? That's a lot of money. We mortgage and credit our lives to the extent and we look at our own country, and US consumer debt is twelve point five eight trillion dollars in the US. Consumer debt. That we're not we're not even talking about our country. We're not even giving into the government how much debt we have. We're talking about just consumer debt here is in the trillions. So that means that $779 billion of that is credit card debt alone. What in the earth is going on with us? And so you may be wondering, hey, Pastor, where are you going with this? I thought we were coming to church, not a Dave Ramsey seminar. But why we're addressing this is because this isn't just a question of debt and stuff. And this isn't about bettering your life. Be a better you. Live a better life. What we're talking about here is a spiritual issue. There's a spiritual issue at hand that is wrestling with our hearts that we are so indebted to our stuff. That is a spiritual issue. And that's why we need this final spiritual discipline that we're going to discuss in this Way to Life series. We discuss, you know, prayer, study, fasting, all these wonderful things. And I would say probably one of the most necessary in our culture today is this topic of simplicity. Simplicity addresses a deep spiritual concern in our country. Because the spiritual discipline of simplicity is a call to awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Do you think it's healthy to live a life with so much debt and with so much stuff? Is that healthy? Ever seen the show Hoarders? Have you watched that and thought, well, what's what's wrong with this? What's, What's wrong with Living in a house where you have a small little path through all the stuff in the thousands of square feet of the home. Because I else look at that and go, that's my stuff. Are we all that different? Is it healthy? <coughs> this is a spiritual matter. It deals with the heart. It deals with the mind. It deals with the soul. It's a spiritual question. But does Jesus really care all that much about your stuff? Does Jesus really care about your stuff? Isn't it really just about loving Jesus and living a good life? Why are we going to talk about my stuff? What does the Bible really have to say? Before attempting to forge any sort of Christian view about this discipline of simplicity, I think we need to look at Scripture and look at what the prevailing view of Scripture in Jesus is about our possession and economic issues. Because the Bible is not silent about our stuff and economic status. In fact, Jesus talks about it quite a lot if you listen to him speaking. Richard Foster says this, he said, Often it is felt that our response to wealth is an individual matter. The Bible's teaching in this area is said to be strictly a matter of private interpretation. Why well, try to believe that Jesus did not address himself to practical economic questions? Jesus deals with these questions. I and mean, I mean, Before we even get to Jesus, let's look at a few of these verses. What does the Bible say about our stuff? You look at the Old Testament, and let's just look at Leviticus chapter 25, 23. In this, we hear the Old Testament speaking about the legislation of the Jubilee Year. Have you ever heard about the Jubilee Year? And it was a cycle of, there was this Jubilee Year, after I think it was an 11-year cycle, and that would reset everything. If you owed a debt to somebody, it was forgiven. If you owned property from someone else, then it came back theirs. It was a redistribution of wealth, so to speak. And Imagine that. It's, it's kind of like bankruptcy is in our country. You know, when you've got so indebted you can't do anything else about it, and so you declare bankruptcy and your debt is forgiven and you start over, essentially. This jubilee year was this redistribution of wealth. Why would Scripture speak about that? It didn't care about our debt and our stuff. Let's go to the Psalms. Psalm 62, verse 10 says that if riches increase, set not your heart on them. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Seems like wise words. But about Proverbs, if we're talking about wise words. Chapter 11, verse 28. The 10th commandment is all about covetousness and inner lust and stealing someone else's stuff or wanting it for yourself. And a wise sage in Proverbs says, He who trusts in his riches will wither. He who trusts in his riches will wither. Doesn't seem to have a pretty high view of having a lot of stuff, does it? What about Luke, chapter 16, verse 13? Jesus declared war on materialism of his day. And I suggest that he declares war on materialism of our day as well. The Aramaic term for wealth is mammon. Have you ever heard that term? Mammon. And then Jesus condemns it as a rival God. He says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and your money. You cannot serve God and your wealth, your stuff. There can only be one master. We we'll go to Matthew nineteen, and perhaps one of the best stories to illustrate what we're doing. Have you heard of the rich young ruler? There's a rich young ruler that comes up to Jesus and essentially asks, He said, What must I do to get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, Well, do you follow the commandments? Oh, yeah, I follow every single one. I'm good. I got all this covered. And essentially, the last question Jesus asks, He said, Okay, well, then give up all your possessions and follow me. Does anybody here remember how he reacts to that? He walks away sad because he has so much stuff. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. He couldn't do it. Do you think he really understood the power of the kingdom of heaven if he left and walked away from the savior of the world for his stuff? Are you beholden to your stuff? This discipline of simplicity is important because it's really about perspective. Simplicity sets possessions in proper perspective. That's what we're talking about is perspective. How do we view our things, our stuff, our money, our wealth, our blessings? How do we view them? Simplicity is the only thing that reorients our lives that we are not possessed by our possessions. Who's in control? You or your stuff? Let's talk about smartphones. Anybody addicted to looking at the screen of a smartphone or a computer and feel that need? Anybody ever heard of the phantom vibrate uh, phenomenon? Have you ever felt like your phone is ringing in your pocket and you realize it isn't? You just kind of feel it? And I say it's a psychological issue, actually. That it usually comes to a deep longing of maybe you really wish somebody was calling you. Well, so you kind of have this feeling. It happens to me all the time. What was it? Oh, no, it's not. Thought I thought I felt it. Do I own my phone? Or does my phone own me? A tough question for me to even ask myself. Who is being possessed here, me or my possessions? Of all the disciplines, simplicity is the most visible and therefore the most open to corruption. The majority of Christians have never seriously wrestled with the problem of simplicity and conveniently ignore Jesus' words. Again, Jesus speaks about how we relate to man, our stuff, our wealth, quite a bit. Why do we ignore it? I think the reason is simple. This discipline directly challenges our our vested interest in the fluent life that we want to live. Who here wants to be richer? Who here wants to make more money? Mom, let's be honest. Everybody in this room probably wants think, well, what the man, what can I do with that money? I just need a little bit more.
1: Have you ever looked at a celebrity that has
0: multi-million dollars and thought, man, if I had that money? Wow. You think of all the people I could help. Really? You're gonna spend it all on helping other people? Really? Where will your security be? The problem we have is our stuff becomes an idol. And what is an idol? Anything that we place above God. Who's motivated? God or your stuff? The reason you go to work every day is that because God has given you this opportunity to serve or you it for the almighty dollar? Who's in control? Who are you really worshiping? Perspective is about priorities. So, what is your top priority? Let me ask you this question What should be your top priority? Prayer. Prayer? Jesus. (laughs) Got to throw out the church answer Jesus. Anybody else? What should be your top priority? We hear it in Matthew, chapter 6, verse 33. Anybody know that verse? I want you to read it along with me. Therefore, I tell you, read it with me, come on. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on Is not life more than food? And the body warm and clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet their heavenly father feeds them. Are you not a more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your standard life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So according to verse 33, What should be our priority? But seek first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is that how we are actually living our lives? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Or do we have other motives? See, this is what's so challenging about this idea of simplicity that it's, it really starts in the heart. It starts with, what is your priority? What do you really love? Who do you really serve? What are you really about? Simplicity gets right to the heart of it. Because we try to make life so much more complicated than it often is. I mean, yes, there are complicated things in life, but you know what? This... Is your priority system right here. Seek first, not second, not third, not fourth, not fifth. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. But simplicity is challenging because it's not just an inner discipline. It also has an outward expression. Simplicity is an inner reality but an outward expression. You can tell, you can look at how somebody lives and tell whether they live a life of simplicity, can't you? And you can tell when someone does not by the way they live. So it's not just this inner thing that you can't see any sort of expression. It has an outward expression. And so first, if you can get this priority system in place that it's the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that's our first. The things start to fall in order, but there are practical ways that we can live into this inner reality with this outward expression. And so I want to offer a few suggestions based off of Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. He gives these suggestions to express a life of simplicity and live out this discipline practically in your life. First, he says, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. The first thing I think of when I hear that one is, do you really need that bright and shiny car? Is it really more useful than this one over here that's less expensive? Or did you spend the extra money and you say that it's a more reliable car? Really? Is it? Or is there a status attached to it? But that's not the only thing. There's lots of things that we buy, less for their usefulness and far more for their status. Clothes, houses, technology. Second, he says, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. What did we just talk about earlier? Technology and smartphones. It's an addiction. Do you need to curb your addiction? there are plenty of things that our stuff can create addictions within us. Third, he says, develop a habit of giving things away. That's anti hoarding Do you give away when you no longer need it? Do you give away when you have the clothes that you just find that you're not wearing anymore? Do you give it away to someone who may wear it? Kitchen stuff. Household items. Whatever it is. Are you in the habit of giving away? or Are you only in the habit of accumulating? Because if you keep pouring water into a cup and never pour it out, what's going to happen? It just overflows. Fourth, refuse to be, he says, propagandized. So propaganda by the custodians of modern gadgetry. I love that word. Modern gadgetry. Don't be seduced by technology. Not everything is the latest and greatest. And isn't it interesting that all these devices that promise to do things in less time and make your life easier, do they always make your life easier? Does anybody here find that they have more time in the day than they used to because of the technology around us? I don't know about you, but I'm still just as busy as I always. I'm still just as stressed as I've always been. And I have a powerful computer that I handle hand in my pocket. It has my schedule. It can handle everything. It's my mobile office. I don't even have an office. It's my mobile office. But I'm just as busy, if not busier, than I was before technology. Had. Let's not be seduced by the propaganda. Fifth, he says, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Do You really have to go by New books. Does anybody here actually still read books? Are you doing digital books now? Even then, do you have to always own it? There's a place called the library. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. It's this magical building that you walk in and it houses books that you can borrow for free. Do you hear me? For free, you can borrow someone else's books and read them and not have to buy them. Because How often do you reread the books that you have in your house? Maybe you have a few favorites that you reread. Do you reread all of them? Or do you read it and then you cast it aside? Do you really need to own it? And if you are an e-reader on your Kindle, your Nook, whatever you're reading on, your iPad, you can actually borrow books electronically from this place called the library. Did you know that? You can borrow Kindle e-reader books from the library. There are so many things we can borrow and we can share with others. Do we really have to own it all? Six, he says, develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Because you know what? We can't own creation. When you go out in nature and everything, we can't really own it. You can buy land, but you don't own it. Can you develop Appreciation for what God has just thrown all around us, all these blessings in God's creation. Worry less about your stuff and owning. Seventh, look with healthy skepticism on at all at all buy now, pay later schemes. Credit debt, as I mentioned earlier, is a major issue in our country. And it's a major issue again because it deals with this deeper spiritual question that is corrupting. Generations of our children, people in this room, do you really need to buy now and pay later? Should you really buy something that you can't afford right now? People used to actually save up to buy things. Does anybody remember that? You bought it when you could afford it and had saved up the money. You didn't get it before. There was a thing called layaway. (coughs) Maybe that's something you should consider. Eight shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God? What are the things that are rising to the top of your priority list that are taking precedence over the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Those are the things we need to get out of the way, so we don't get seduced by it. Simplicity is really quite simple, though it's hard because it gets at the heart of our own Breed our own selfishness, our need to be in control. But as we close out this series, may God give you and me the courage and the strength to always hold the kingdom of God as number one in our life, our number one priority. Because to do this is simplicity. If we seek to follow the path Of all these spiritual disciplines that we've discussed over the past several weeks, we may just discover that the way to life is right there before us. This life, this abundant life that Jesus speaks of, that we can have right here and now. Let us live simply. Let us follow.